Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. The main thing that I would change, it would be to really listen to my body and not to feel like I need to perform. Like I need to be somebody for everyone else. And as you said, you know, uh, putting this smile on our faces, it's very challenging. And at the same time, that's why this disease is so invisible, right? Welcome to Talking Head Pain, the podcast that confronts head pain head on. I'm your host, Joe Ko, Director of Therapeutic Area Growth and Integration at the Global Healthy Living Foundation, as well as co-president of GHLF Canada. I've been a migraine patient for over 20 years, so I know firsthand how debilitating this disease can be. I'm here today with an amazing advocate, Martha Morozak. She's a psychotherapy student who lives at Migraine. She also is a volunteer advocate with Migraine Canada. And in our pre-interview, I learned that she loves animals and has a dog that takes up a lot of her camera roll. I can totally relate because my two cats do the same. How are you doing today, Marta? I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me, Joe. My absolute pleasure. So a question I like to ask folks on Talking Head Pain is to explain in a couple of sentences what their worst migraine attack was like, what they felt, what went through your head. Can you walk us through that? Well, it is an interesting question because uh, I've been living with this condition since I was five years old. So I had a lot of bad migraine attacks. But when I think about my worst, for some reason, well, I kind of know why, but my thoughts gravitate toward my last week at work. And back then I worked in healthcare. I used to be an event specialist and we had a three-day event conference, and I had this excruciating migraine pain for all these three days, 72 hours. And with all the symptoms, you know, the sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, nausea, obviously my speech was affected, but at the same time, I had to be responsible for the registration. I was the first contact for speakers, and I had to have a smile on my face. So it was really, really tough. And uh, to be honest, I still don't know how I managed But what I remember the most, actually, was when I sat in the cab on my way home, I remember the feeling. And that was the first time, I was 33 years old then, and that was the first time I felt defeated. I felt lost and so petrified. I felt like this is the end. And I just didn't know what will happen next. And when I got home, I still didn't know what to do. It wasn't, you know, that I had an action plan in my mind. It was still my family And with their support, I actually made the decision to take a sick leave, which because I was kind of in the denial about my whole condition that was already chronic, I thought it would take me probably, oh, you know, two weeks and I will go back to work. But yeah, I I found myself on disability for over 10 years. So I think it was my worst because it's changed my life. It really, truly changed my life. That's a really powerful and vulnerable story that you're sharing. I appreciate your honesty. It's a good reminder for folks that are listening that people might have a smile on their face and going through a lot and could be in a lot of pain, could be going through a lot of emotional stuff. So it's really important to remember that we're all dealing with different things and sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't. In Marta's case, she was smiling as she was in excruciating pain at this life changing moment. So a really, really important reminder for our audience. 
Thinking back, Marta, what you know now and where you are today, what would you want your younger self to know? Maybe that Marta in her early 30s. I think about it a lot <laughs> because, um, as you know, I'm a psychotherapy student, so that's a lot of going back <laughs> and analyzing. But really the main thing that I would change, it would be to really listen to my body and not to feel like I need to perform, like I need to be somebody for everyone else. And probably I would start therapy a lot sooner than I did because it is very tough. It is very tough. And as you said, you know, uh, putting the smile on our faces, it's very challenging. And at the same time, that's why this disease is so invisible, right? But then we want to go ahead. We want to have normal lives, but we need to have a support. And I think I would probably seek this support a lot sooner. But yes, as I said, I was in denial. I just didn't want to face it. I wanted to be as everyone else. And to, you know, to a certain degree, I was controlling my, you know, I thought that I control my migraine because I was taking the medication helped to a certain degree for some time until it stopped. There are two questions from that beautiful statement that I want to dig in a little deeper. Can you, the first one that I have for you is, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by you would learn to not perform? What does performing with migraine look like to you? To me, it was, and sometimes it still is, to be honest, it's like putting a mask because I find that people don't really want you to see being sick, you know, and as I said before, like you go to work or you are with a family and you want to be with a family for whatever event it is, or even like to get together and you put this mask on and pretend in a way, if you can, if you can, because obviously when the pain takes over, it's not possible anymore to do it. But I think it's very difficult. At least it was for me, um, admitted that I am sick because in my head was that I'm less than for some reason, like being sick, it meant that I'm not good enough. And that's why admitting that I have this pain, it meant that I will not be accepted. So, um, so I pretended. I understand that. Sometimes my friends now like to, I guess, play a game. It's not a game, but it is where if I post a picture, they sometimes comment, oh, you look like you're having a migraine attack. I could be out in the world doing anything. And the last time, maybe a month ago that someone commented, I was like, no, I'm just tired. <laughs> <laughs> So it swings in the other direction sometimes when you raise a lot of awareness. <laughs> uh, you also talked about the importance that you found of being in therapy and getting into therapy sooner. What was that process like for you? Did you have to see a lot of different therapists to find one that you liked? How did you find someone that gelled with you and also understood migraine? With me, actually, yes, I went through a process of finding the right therapist. It wasn't that I was thinking of looking for a right therapist, but back in the day when I was on sick leave from work, my mind was set, you know, like I was admitting that I have a migraine and I need help, but it was more with a focus that I need to go back to work. So fix me now. And, you know, and I wasn't patient. It was not about fixing me. It was about fixing my migraine. It was like two different things. I was not connected to my disease at all. I didn't want to be connected to it because it was taking away my life and I just wanted to get rid of it. So that's why it took me a long time to actually meet someone, a therapist that while well, I'm with her now, that she started asking me different questions and she started making me want to go a bit more deeper and tackle a bit more, you know, 
issues inside that actually answer some questions for me. It's not even about why I have a migraine because, you know, it's genetic. Many members in my family, they do suffer from migraines, but it's more about my relationship with migraine. That's super helpful. And is that what drew you to study psychotherapy? Yes, for sure. That's one part. But really, for the longest time, as I said, like with work, I, you know, marketing, public relations, communication, it was something that I was very passionate about. So during all these years when I was on disability, in my mind, I was going back to my job, you know, like I was going back to communication, I was going back to marketing, to event planning. So when I started to feel a bit better, when I found the right combination of medications that actually started to help me get back on my feet, I tried marketing again, but I didn't feel it. I just didn't feel it anymore. And at the back of my mind, I started thinking that maybe, you know, I already started, you know, doing a bit more in a sense, like helping people, not professionally, obviously, but like through my specialists, you know, other patients, if they had questions about migraine. And I found it very healing for me as well, but also very rewarding. And at the same time, I saw the need that there are still so many of us who just are so lost in the whole system that it's not very set up to help us uh, to the degree that it should. So I started thinking about counseling, um, maybe, you know, thinking, oh, maybe if I could work in a headache clinic as a patient, something along the line. So psychotherapy just landed on my lap by pure accident, as it usually does in life, you know, those type of things. Through a friend who really made me think about it more seriously, and she pushed me to apply. And here I am in my second year, but it's a five-year program, so I still have a long way to go. <laughs> You'll do it. It's one step at a time. And your story is similar to a lot of folks that I speak with that have chronic disease and go through a process of mourning and rediscovery. And I think that that's something we all need to understand that with these life-changing diseases or diseases that impact us on a daily basis, we might need to reimagine and reconstruct what a quote-unquote normal life is for us. And that's the beauty of being alive is that we have those choices and ability once we realize that we have those choices. And you went through a long process. This was not something that you did overnight. And folks need to hear that when they see success stories, that this is about a lot of trial and error. This is about a lot of soul searching. This is about going on a lot of different medications, working with a lot of different doctors and figuring it out. But, you know, a different life and world is potentially possible. And we don't have to be confined by some of the societal burdens that we're given around what productivity is, what success looks like, what a fulfilling life looks like, and we can find meaning in all different ways. So really appreciate that story and process that you went through and sharing with the folks that listen. The last question I want to ask you, I know that you're involved with Migraine Canada. How did you get involved with an advocacy organization and why is that important to you? You know, what I mentioned when I started having those ideas about counseling, actually my neurologist, he mentioned the organization and he gave me this idea that maybe it's something that I should consider when I was still kind of pushing back, thinking that there's no way that I'm in, you know, at that point in my life that I can be used for anything, you know, that my brain is good enough. <laughs> Again, that good enough is like really something that it's, you know, it follows me. I like the idea, obviously, and I liked what it stands for. And because whenever I would look for it, the information as a Canadian, there's a lot of information coming from states. But we don't have a lot of that here in Canada. So I saw that 
it's missing. So I saw the need for it and I wanted to be part of it. I just didn't know exactly how and what I can, you know, help with. I was still thinking maybe communication background, maybe marketing. I still don't know, you know, I'm still like helping but not really knowing what my real function is. But I guess as a patient advocate, it's more about being there and telling my story and from my point of view. Yeah. It is. They're a great organization. And Marta, you get to define your function. I have to define Yeah, I know. I know. So really amazing. So appreciate your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wished I would have or that you want to share with the audience? No, no. I thank you for making me so comfortable, first of all, because it is the topic that I learned to talk about it, but to go deeper, you know, about the more personal part of this experience, it's tough. But it's something that I know, I recognize that it's very important to share with others because I know myself. When you hear, when you read, when you find similar stories, there's this like aha moment. It's like, wow, you know, if she, they can do it or they were in the same situation, they're like me. And when you see yourself and others, it's just like, it's so empowering, you know? And that's why we do this. And I really am grateful that you found it to be a good experience and that you were comforted. And I know people listening will find comfort in your words and in the story that you share because we aren't alone. There are so many of us that are putting the smile on our face. And it's okay if we have to do that. It's also okay if we choose not to. Really thank you for everything and for spending these moments with us. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Head Pain, the podcast that confronts head pain head on. This podcast was made possible with support from AbbVie Canada. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions for us, you can send us an email at podcast at ghlf.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it an honest five-star rating, write a positive review, and spread the word by sharing it with your friends and family. It'll help more people like you find us. I'm Joe Coe, and I will see you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.